Hey folks, welcome to the Green Root Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Schlossberg. For this episode, we are talking to Michael Garrity. He is executive director of the Alliance for the Wild Rockies and has been for the last 20 years. Before that, he worked for the Ecology Center. And before that, he was the environmental aide for Congressman Cook in Utah. And the reason I wanted to have Michael on, other than the fact that he's been doing great work for the natural world for a long time, is that Alliance for the Wild Rockies is the main group advocating for the Northern Rockies Ecosystem Protection Act, or NREPA, N-R-E-P-A. And that is a campaign that our new Eco-Integrity Alliance is in support of. So I wanted to have him on to tell us all about NREPA. So Michael, welcome to the Green Root Podcast. Thanks for having me on, Josh. I appreciate it. Of course. Well, without getting into anything else, let's go right into NARIPA. What is the Northern Rockies Ecosystem Protection Act? Um, it is a bill to try and protect an entire ecosystem. So it's the first of its kind in that regard. And the ecosystem is the Northern Rockies ecosystem. And it was, the, it was written by scientists and citizens from the Northern Rockies, um, mainly Dr. John Craighead and Mike Bader. Dr. Craighead was named by National Geographic as one of the top 100 scientists of the 20th century for his work on grizzly bears in the greater Yellowstone area, along with his brother, Frank Craighead. And the other main author was Mike Bader, who was the founder and first executive director of the Alliance for the Wild Rockies. Okay, excellent. And how long has this bill in different incarnations been around? Um, it was first introduced in Congress in 1993. And it's um, gotten slightly bigger since then, because mainly because we included lands that the Park Service recommended as wilderness in Glacier National Park, Yellowstone National Park, and the Bighorn National Recreation Area in Montana. Excellent. And so we're talking about, it's about, correct me if I'm wrong, about 20 million acres of public lands. And this is across Idaho, Montana, Washington, Oregon, and Wyoming. Um, it's, it's actually bigger than that. It would designate 23 million acres of new wilderness lands in, from uh, inventory growless lands. And that, those would be the core areas protecting the Northern Rockies ecosystem. But also important is it would designate biological connecting corridors between these core areas for uh, wildlife to travel. And it would do that by outlawing clear cutting on public lands, federal public lands in these corridors and uh, limiting road density to 0.25 miles per square mile with a goal of zero miles per square mile because so much wildlife um, are harmed by roads. Right. So this is a whole lot of wilderness and then there'll be some areas that have decent protections, maybe not as strong, but strong enough to allow wildlife to migrate between these parcels, right? Correct. And the idea behind this is um, scientists like E.O. Wilson 
with his work on island biogeography, first discovered the bigger the island, the more native species it had. And then other scientists took that and applied it to the Western United States by studying national parks in the Western United States and found out the bigger the national park, the more native species it had. They also discovered that big national parks in the West like Yellowstone aren't big enough for species to survive over the long run. If they become isolated islands, the species um, starts to get inbred and once it gets inbred, it's finished. So they figured out that we have to start protecting ecosystems instead of just parks. Yellowstone was the first national park created in the world in 1872 and now 100 countries around the world have national parks. And the US was the leader in conservation in the world at one time and we're not anymore, but our goal is if we can pass NARIPA, it can once again, the US can be a leader in protecting ecosystems and maybe one day 100 countries around the world will have designated ecosystem protection areas instead of just national parks. Sure, and I do wanna talk more about that in a second, but first zooming in on this area. So I live in Colorado, and so that's a little bit south of the region where this bill would come into place. But what's special about the Northern Rockies ecosystems? The Northern Rockies are unique in that it still retains almost all the native species that were here when Europeans first arrived. So it's a, still an intact ecosystem that hasn't yet been destroyed. So there's a big opportunity to protect it. And scientists say we're in the midst of the world's sixth great extinction period. And one of the few places on earth we have a chance of stopping it is in the Northern Rockies. But it is, it's an important corridor for wildlife connecting um, the Canadian Rockies to uh, places south, such as Colorado. So ideally, scientists would like to protect this corridor from the Yukon all the way down to Mexico. Sure, but this is a definitely a good start. And it's very different from the, say, timber sale by timber sale approach, which of course has been really important to defend wildlands and has been crucial, but clearly not enough when you just protect 100 acres here or 100 acres there, right? Right, and it's, you know, if you stop at a logging project, then you've, you've stopped it temporarily, but um, a lot of people call them zombie logging projects because they're never killed. Whereas uh, designating all this new wilderness is much more longer last, lasting protection. So to extend the zombie analogy, this would be like shooting the zombie in the head. <laughs> yeah, or I'm not really up on how to kill zombies, but... <laughs> Or maybe like, uh, I know a little bit more about vampires and it, like stabbing them in the, with a cross. Stick right in the heart. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I think that kills a vampire. <laughs> yes, that definitely, that definitely does it. So instead of just the garlic approach, which kind of scares them a little bit out of the way, you go in right for the heart, turn them into dust. Yeah. Well, that's as a, as a fiction writer, I had to take it there. But uh, so talk a, a little bit about some of the 
the wildlife that lives in this region? Okay, well, um, the Northern Rockies, so just to clarify, it, the Northern Rockies are Eastern Oregon and Washington, all of Idaho and Western Montana and Western Wyoming. And the species we have um, are bull trout, which uh, are considered the canary in the coal mine for clean water. Bull trout need very clean, very cold water to survive. So if it's clean and cold enough for bull trout, it's also perfect for humans. Um, there's also grizzly bears. We have isolated populations of grizzly bears uh, in the Northern Rockies and Yellowstone, the Glacier Northern Continental Divide, the Cabinet Yak in Northwest Montana, the Selkirks in Northern Idaho. And now grizzly bears are migrating into uh, the Salmon Selway Bitterroot ecosystem in Idaho and Western Montana. But not all these populations are connected. So NARIPA would try and protect the corridors so that grizzly bears can reconnect themselves. We also have Canada lynx, um, which is kind of another canary in the coal mine for forest. Um, lynx need uh, do best in unroaded forest with um, very thick, uh, dense forests, which you know the timber industry and the Forest Service hate. Yeah. They want to thin every forest out there so that trees will grow bigger faster. Yeah. Um, and then, but those three species are kind of the umbrella species. If you protect uh, forests for those species, you protect them for a host of other species that all need similar habitat requirements. The Northern goshawk, um, pine marten, wolverine, uh, pileated woodpeckers, um, mountain lions, even elk, which people don't think of as a sensitive species, but they need you know, thick forest with a lot of hiding cover so they're not all killed during the first two weeks of hunting season. Of course, and they are the prey for a lot of predators. And of course, yeah, that's all crucial. Well, that's, that's great to know. I'm looking at the page right now where it says NARIPA designations and Maybe we can go briefly through each of the little, the components there. Uh, so it talks about, so wild and scenic rivers. So it says Naripa protects 1,810 miles of headwater rivers. So, so what's, what's that component all about? Designates these rivers as wild and scenic under the Wild and Scenic Act. So it prohibits uh, you know, dams on these rivers. Uh, they have the the river corridor has to remain in its natural state. Um, but also to protect a river, you have to protect the entire watershed, mm -hmm. right? Because it doesn't just, the snow just doesn't magically, or the water doesn't magically appear on the river. It, it rains the snows in the entire watershed and then works its way down to the river. So it, it's a good hand and glove approach with NARIPA. You know, you can't separate out protecting the rivers without protecting the surrounding forests. And the best way to do that is through wilderness designation. Right. And that's the next piece here. So you're saying it's around 23 million acres? Correct. Right. 23 million acres. Wow. So it's, it, 
it uh, all of the inventoried roadless areas that were protected under the Clinton roadless rule would be designated wilderness along with all of the roadless areas in the in Glacier and Yellowstone and Bighorn National Recreation Area that the Park Service has recommended for wilderness. Okay. And it, it is important in parks because there, you know, the Park Service is always uh, facing pressure to you know, develop for more and more visitors. Yes. So if we want the wildlife to survive, we have to protect the habitat. Seems but, like common so sense uh, to me. Yeah. <laughs> not just in the parks, but all you know, in, in national forests as well. Right, right. Yeah, because people do like to, well, of course, lots of people think that national forests are wilderness, which they are not. And then while national parks are stronger protection from extraction, they are always being developed just to cram as many people inside as possible, which of course we want people to see nature and care about it, but there has to be limits. So I definitely think that's great that that's, that's all tying into that as well. It's beautiful. So the next piece, biological linkage corridor. So you kind of spoke about that again, but how much, how much land roughly would that encompass? And is that all public lands or some of that? Well, no, the corridors, um, if you go to our website, there's a map of, uh, of the bill. Yep. And um, you can see the corridors. A lot of the corridors are private land. Um, you know, species don't know the difference between private land and public land, but the bill is very clear that it doesn't affect private land. Um, it only affects federal public land, either the Forest Service, the Park Service, or BLM. And um, all of the inventory roadless areas in the corridors would be designated wilderness, but the, the Forest Service or BLM lands that are eroded, um, the bill outlaws clear cutting, as I mentioned earlier before, and also has the goal of getting rid of all the roads. Right. And I, I don't have a total off the top of my head of the Forest Service and BLM land in the corridors. That's fine. So but it's it just, again, it's a core part of the principle of protecting an ecosystem. You have to have connecting corridors between the different secure areas for wildlife to migrate. You, otherwise they become inbred. Um, the analogy that some scientists gave me once is, if you have an isolated town of 500 people where no, it doesn't get any new blood for hundreds of years, eventually everybody has 12 fingers and, play with banjos and species just can't survive over the long run if they become inbred in either can people right genetic diversity yeah we're seeing issues around wolves and and things like that so they need to be able to move around absolutely and so roads why are roads a problem because roads are just little narrow things and shouldn't be a big deal right why are roads a problem well, grizzly bears as an example Mm -hmm. Most grizzly bears are killed within 500 meters of a road. And people don't 
wake up in the morning and think, oh, well, I'm going to go kill a grizzly bear. What they do is they drive on a lot of these old logging roads with a, a gun. And if they see something, they shoot it. And so, so um, grizzly bears, especially in a clear cut, are big targets. And they often get, that's where they're most likely to be killed. And then other species have learned they associate roads with people. Um, elk, for example, avoid roads. And um, lynx don't like to cross roads, again, because they associate roads with people. So if you have a heavily roaded landscape, then the species uh, don't become isolated. They can't right. connect. And it makes a lot of edges to the ecosystem, right? And then there's soil erosion. And then of course it brings people in further where oftentimes they're, well, intentionally, but usually hopefully accidentally setting fires. And those are- Right, uh, like uh, Jack Cohen, who is recently retired from the fire lab and at the, the Forest Service Fire Lab in Missoula, Montana, said the last thing you want in a healthy watershed that supplies water drinking water for humans is roads right. because roads produce sediment which gets into the water supply. The roads also produce sediment which gets into rivers and streams which are bad for fish. It essentially, pay, the sediment gets down into the gravel and so it ruins the spawning ground for fish. Sure, that makes a lot of sense. Is there any, are there any provisions that are would call for the destruction the restoration of roads or is it more about just preventing new no, building there is a recovery area that's one of the provisions in the bill it would um, recover a million acres of um, heavily logged forest and we remove fully obliterate which means you know remove the roads completely the road bed from the landscape and recontour the land and that would employ about 2,300 people. Wow. So it, it's actually much more labor intensive than logging. If you ever, if you wanna go to YouTube and just Google, you know, logging, they don't have a guy out there with a chainsaw anymore. Most of it is done by heavy equipment. And it's just not very labor intensive to clear cut a forest. But it's very labor intensive to try and restore a forest. You have to go out there and plant it with new trees by hand and uh, re restoring an area that, that used to have a road in it requires a lot of people with shovels. Right, yeah, I've long been an advocate for putting these roads to bed. And not only is it a great way to sort of tuck the ecosystems back in, but it's a way to provide jobs that are for once in the forest, not destroying the forest, like literally improving the ecosystems. Right. And, and so just in that regard, um, since Naripa would put all these new wilderness areas off limits to logging, the Clinton Robles rule has a lot of loopholes. So the, the Forest Service is still logging uh, roadless areas, even though Clinton tried to protect them. Sure. And then it would reduce logging in the corridor. So almost all of the logging done in the Northern Rockies, the Forest Service loses millions of dollars on. 
So by putting, restricting the amount of logging in these new wilderness areas and corridors, that would save hundreds of millions of dollars. And then part of that savings would go to putting people to work uh, in doing restoration. And this is under the National Wildland Recovery System under NREPA? Correct. Correct. And, and these jobs would be what they call Davis-Bacon jobs. When the federal government um, hires people, they're required by the Davis-Bacon Act to pay them union level wages. So they would be good jobs um, that, you know, unions like operating engineers unions and the Teamsters um, could get a lot of its members to work doing. That sounds really excellent. So there are two other components of NARIPA here. So there is National Park Preserve Study Area. So that says that uh, there'd be two potential additions to national parks, which we, we haven't done for a while, right? When was the last time we had a new national park? Uh, we had one, I think, under Trump. Really? West Virginia. Huh, I missed that. Um, I forget the name of the, it was based around a river. And Congress passed a law turning it into a national park. I'll be damned. <laughs> right. That's the first one I've heard of in years. Wow. Trump, who would have, who would have I don't know how that happened, but uh, well, all right. It was Congress that did it. And okay. West Virginia, and I, I think it was supported by everybody in West Virginia, you know, with the hope to draw more tourists there. Okay. And, well, that's great. So, what would the Naripa parks be? Um, Hell's Canyon National Park in Idaho and Oregon. Cool. Idaho doesn't have, it's one of the few states that doesn't have a national park. If you don't, yeah, a, a thin strip of Yellowstone is in Idaho, but there's no entrance that you can drive into Yellowstone from Idaho. So okay. Idaho would get its own national park. Um, and then um, there's expanding glacier to the west is another component. Cool. Yeah, I was at Glacier over 20 years ago, and that it was uh, yeah, that's some wild country out there. So that's great to hear. Even more would be preserved as a national park. So this would be a preserved study area. How would that be different than the rest of the park? Well, I, it's a disagreement. I think they should just not study it and should just do it. <laughs> okay. Um, but it's just, I, it was written as a study area originally because most national parks uh, don't allow hunting. So the study was, you know, was to uh, work that out and figure out if they're, what they're gonna do about hunting because a lot of these areas in Idaho and Montana Hunting is very popular. Sure, I would imagine. And the final part of NARIPA is the Native American religious and treaty rights. So tell us about that and why that's a part of this. Um, well, we have lots of different Indian nations in the Northern Rockies, and it just uh, clear, it makes sure that all, the note that all of the treaty rights would be honored. Mm. And so for example, one of the areas is that Naripa covers is the Badger Two Medicine area, south of the Blackfeet Nation, and um, southeast of Glacier National Park. 
Uh, it's an area the Blackfeet people have long considered sacred. So it lets them continue with all of their historic and religious uses and um, gives them a say on how the area would be managed. Excellent. So where is this bill in terms of getting passed in Congress? What, what's going on with that whole process? Um, well, we originally had a hearing scheduled for February 15th. Um, right before February 15th, it got postponed. I don't know why, but it did. Um, so they tell us Chairman Grijalva, the chair of the Natural Resources Committee, says he will schedule a new date. So we hope he will. Um, we have, so the sponsor in the House is Congresswoman Carolyn Maloney and there's 56 co-sponsors and it's sponsored in the Senate by Senator Whitehouse and there's 11 co-sponsors and we've, we have never had a hearing in the Senate. Um, you know, it, it takes 60 votes in the Senate to name a post office, let alone designate a, a new ecosystem protection area, so. Um, the Senate's a little harder. We have had, uh, I think, three hearings in the House before. Uh, we never passed it out of the House, but I feel like we're building momentum around it, mainly because of um, climate change, global warming. Mm. Forests are incredible carbon sinks. I mean, that's what people learn in grade school, that plants um, absorb carbon dioxide and release emit oxygen. We need trees and plants to survive. Um, so we not only, if we wanna like successfully keep the world from heating to an unlivable temperature, we not only have to reduce or stop uh, the use of carbon fuels, but we also have to protect our forest because they absorb so much carbon. Absolutely. Yeah, we've been trying to draw a link to that for quite some time. I mean, many of us have, and it's such a such a no-brainer in a sense, but at the same time has not seemed to catch on as widely as it should, but it does seem to be gaining momentum and people are realizing you want to do something about the climate, protect the land. Do, you can do it passively. You don't have to do a thing to you know, create some magical energy source or whatever, that's all fine. But here is land already doing the work. This is, it's the easiest thing and the most effective thing that we can do. And uh, so you're saying that because maybe more of climate is on people's mind, we might have a better chance of this passing than in the past? Yes, and also I think, more and more people are realizing that we are in the middle of the sixth world sixth grade extinction period. Mm. And so they are more concerned with that. And, and NARIPA, the whole purpose is to ensure that these native species that were here when Europeans first arrived continue to be here for the long run. Yeah, it makes perfect sense to me. I think not only is this region extremely important, but the model for legislation that NARIPA is, is something that can be applied 
for ecosystem to ecosystem across the US because maybe people can see the bigger picture ironically better when you can see okay this is one specific area and then maybe there's a southwestern one do you foresee the possibility of what like a maybe a great north woods version of this or yes i think there's an infinite possibility as i mentioned at the beginning the u.s created the world's first national park in 1872 now there's 100 now 100 countries around the globe have national parks i'm hoping if naripa passes that it will be replicated not only throughout the United States, but throughout the world. Yes, well, we the can model, be- I'm sorry to interrupt you. No, it's fine. The model of, of what they used when they wrote NARIPA was the Alaska Lands Act. Mm. Historically, um, Congress has designated wildernesses on a, a you know, wilderness by wilderness or state by state approach and left it up to each state to decide. But in Alaska, when Carter was president, they decided that wasn't gonna work. And so Congress, over the initial objections of the Alaska congressional delegation, protected something like 50 million acres of land in Alaska. Hmm. And so, so some environmentalist, I forget his name, um, said, protecting um, areas in the we world west, we can't leave it up to them to decide the appropriate amount of wilderness, just like we didn't leave in, in the 1960s up to the Mississippi congressional delegation right. or the Alabama congressional delegation on how to so solve the civil rights issue. Yep. This, you know, these national forests belong to all Americans and global warming and extinction is important to all Americans and all Americans currently pay for the money losing timber sales that are going on here. So it should be up to all Americans to decide it. So even though there currently no co-sponsors um, district encompasses the area that Naripa encompasses, we do have a lot of sponsors because it's important to all Americans, just like it was important to all Americans that we protect Alaska. Yes, and it's important what we do here ecosystem-wise to the world as well. We have a responsibility to the world and yeah, it would be nice if folks just in the local level cared enough about it, but different people have different values and sorry, it does belong to all of us. And this seems like, yeah, an obvious step forward that's why Eco Integrity Alliance fully supports and endorses it. And we definitely want to help to do all we can to ensure it passes. So thank you so much for all of your work over the years and for this bill and ongoing. Thank you very much, Josh. I enjoyed talking to you.